Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Smith. I'm joined uh, by my colleague, the Bangor Ram to my central red devil, Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? Oh, that's a good one. I'm well, Ben. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Uh, another show, one of the one of the things we wanted to uh, talk about was, was religion. And uh, I know it's a scary topic for lots of people <laughs> and lots of ways to, to delve into that. But, you know, and, and one of the things we've been talking about in a need that people have as they are in retirement is around community, yep. right? And, and people looking for a place to belong mm-hmm. and uh, to share similar values and um, and beliefs and just have people that, that they kind of share that with. Yeah. And I, we, we just kind of hear that trend of people that, you know, now that they're done with their career and they start kind of looking for that that community where they maybe they had their coworkers and they had other people that they filled their their time with is is kind of this well well where do I go to find that next right, right. is my kids might not be around or my grandkids or maybe my neighbors have moved away or my friend the whole social circle changes and they start looking for different things right mm-hmm. and it, it might be you know their own personal faith and looking to to explore that more and it could be community and it could be lots of different things so for the show today we wanted to dig into that as as a kind of a topic of retirement success and with that so we wanted to bring in uh, our our colleague AJ Walker yeah. So AJ uh, and both of us have worked with with AJ for some time, and yeah. um, I've known AJ since I got introduced to him in 2012. Okay. So I'll let him kind of get into the history, but uh, but that was the that's the premise for today. So so AJ, appreciate you coming on uh, with that intro. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us. Glad to be here with um, with our show. Um, as you know, uh, we we like to kind of dig into you as as a person and just help uh, the audience just understand you and and kind of your background. Would you just kind of dig into just uh, obviously Maine, uh, where you're from in Maine, and kind of then getting into your professional role and and where you are today? Sure. Born in Maine. Born in Presque Isle. Grew up in the Bangor area. So, so from here, right? Is what from yeah. from here. <laughs> yes. This is Maine. Not from away. Yeah. I'm actually sitting in our Bangor office, which is in the heart of Maine. Yeah. <laughs> and so born in Prescott, grew up in uh, Orrington and the Brewer, went to Brewer High School, went to the University of Maine of Orono, University of Maine at Orono, and started working in this industry with my dad in 1983 when I graduated. I actually started in 82 uh, working part-time. My dad owned a retirement plan record-keeping business, administration, uh, insurance, and some investments as well. I started and there were only three people in the company and we were able to grow it pretty significantly enough so that we couldn't find enough employees in Bangor. So we opened an office in Portland. 31 years ago, my wife and I moved to Portland with one small child uh, at the time and really started to grow there. And Mm -hmm. over the years from uh, those times, 1989, I believe we moved to Portland. We grew the business significantly, bought a business, started another business, all related in the retirement plan field. When we started a broker dealer and a registered investment advisory firm, bought an actual consulting firm in Massachusetts, we grew pretty 
pretty dramatically. My dad had retired during those years. And in the year 2000, we sold that to a national uh, roll-up. A roll-up is when one uh, group of investors goes and buys a bunch of similar companies. And, gotcha. and so we became part of a national firm at that point, which was great experience. And I ended up running sales and marketing and, and that whole effort for all of the offices east of the Mississippi. Good experience. So I was there for three years. And still based in Maine at that point? I was still living in Maine, traveling yep. all the time. Yep. It's traveling extensively, uh, still living in Maine. And then uh, left that after three years. My contract was done and I was ready for a new adventure and and uh, I had an opportunity in New York City. Went to this group called Retirement System Group in New York City, which was the same kind of very comprehensive retirement services company, doing record-keeping administration, investment advisory work, broker-dealer work. They owned a trust company. I was in charge of uh, new business initiatives and all kinds of new and, things. And just to interrupt, to, to give the permutation, right? So when you hear when you hear retirement services for maybe a lot of people, they may be thinking about just generally for individuals, but this is really more for organizations offering a benefit, right, to their to their uh, employees, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when we say retirement plan industry, uh, the retirement plans exactly are dealing with plan sponsors of retirement plans, 401k plans, pension plans, 403b plans. Of the of things like that, and and finding the right partners to to choose, right? So who would be the best vendor, or what investments should they offer their employees, and and those sorts of arrangements. In that world with the retirement system group, we actually did it all. Yeah. So we didn't work with outside vendors. Yeah. Didn't work with outside vendors, and that would have been my background um, through from 1982 through uh, 19 uh, or to at that point 2000, and I started working there in 2004 uh, or late 2003. Uh, worked there until mid-2008 when we sold that business. And it was really a great experience. And there I met a future business partner, Wes Delcole, who Wes is the uh, managing principal and the founder of Guidance Point Advisors. And uh, that's where I met Wes. Wes and I worked very closely together there and uh, just found that we had very similar values and worked worked really well together. And in, in that sale of, of that company in 2008, right, which was really the spur for, for Wes to really go out on his own at that stage as well, which kind of founded Guidance Point Advisors. Right. Yeah. At, at Retirement System Group, we were predominantly working with plan sponsors of retirement plans, but there were some individual accounts that we were managing, people, um, uh, wealth management clients that, that, you know, managing their own personal money. Wes saw that as an opportunity to launch a business of his own, so he worked out an arrangement where he started Guidance Point Advisors in New York, actually moved it to Boston a little bit later, I believe, was the sequence. And so that's where I met Wes. And I was living in Maine during those years while I was in New York. I had an apartment in New York City, but I was living in Maine still and just traveling extensively. And so it, partway through 2008, when we sold it, I just came back to Maine full time. Gotcha. And what was that? So you come back to Maine. What was the next venture for you? Right. So you've, you've were obviously part of the, the business with your father um, and then then selling that to a roll up and then uh, to the next enterprise. But what was what was the, the next kind of stage for you after, hey, I'm back in Maine and, you know, probably at that point, maybe a little, little sick of going to New York City uh, <laughs> on a daily basis throughout the weekdays. Um, how did you kind of come to the next uh, next iteration for you for business? Right. Initially, because I had a, a little bit of money at that point to, to invest in another company. I really wasn't sure I wanted to stay in the retirement industry, retirement services industry. I've been doing it since graduating from college, and now it's you know 2008. Mm-hmm. It's time for a change. So I looked, I looked around at a bunch of different opportunities, and my wife and I could never really agree on any that made sense. 
and the opportunity just seemed to just keep pulling me back into where all my background was. And I, I thought that, uh, like, like what, like, give me an example of what, what, what type of things you were kind of kicking back. So we looked about. at, uh, cause we, we joke about a donut shop every now and again. <laughs> no, this no joke. I, I would love to have done that. I didn't find any donut <laughs> shops for sale. I did find, uh, like gas stations. Okay. There was a, there were a few gas stations that I was all excited about. The, the numbers looked great. My wife was adamantly against the gas station idea. All she could see were, you know, somebody, you know, we had, we'd have employees out there getting, you know, held up at gun, gunpoint in the middle of the night or something. <laughs> and she's like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not going to work. So <laughs> we didn't do that. We looked at a service master business where, sure. uh, you know, go out and clean things. That, that didn't sound at all appealing to me, but, the numbers were kind of interesting. Uh, a bottled oxygen business where, you know, people that are having trouble breathing or need, need bottled oxygen. Yep. That was, uh, there were a couple of opportunities there. Hmm. But what I realized is that I don't know any of those businesses. And, and what I, I do know is that businesses are complicated. And I would have a very steep learning curve to jump into any one of these other adventures uh, when I know the, I know what's going on with you know, the retirement plan servicing the investment advisory world. I understand how that works. Gotcha. So you ultimately then chose to do something. Can you talk about, well, what was, if, if that gravity, gravity pulled you back to retirement uh, plan services, how did you kind of come up with what the arrangement would be of something that kind of maybe re-sparked that and, and kind of got you to be more excited about that role? Yeah. I, I have made some good friends throughout the years working with various colleagues. And one of those is a fellow named Eric Daly, uh, who owns this, uh, or he's the managing principal of a company, the Multnomah Group out in Oregon. Eric and I had worked together at this, at that company that I sold Walker Associates to, mm-hmm. uh, Invest, Invest Smart. Eric was the, was, was running the Western part of the sales and marketing as I was running the Eastern part. So we were, okay. we had to, we were competing with each other. And Eric is younger and smarter than I am. So I thought it's always good to stay, uh, always good to stay close to those people. Eric had, had, when I went to New York City, Eric jumped out of InvestSmart and started his own business, started Multnomah Group. And I, and he and I kept in close touch over those years when I was in New York and understanding what he's doing, watching what he's doing. And one of the reasons I didn't do that initially is because I had children in high school moving into college mm-hmm. and I needed cash flow. And, uh, Retirement Assistant Group allowed me to, you know, have pretty good cash flow during those years to pay for the college uh, adventures that, that our daughters went on. So as I kept watching what Eric was doing, when, when we sold Retirement System Group and I'm sitting in Maine kind of wondering what the next step in my career will be, I had the luxury of having some time. It was, that was great. I watched a lot of field hockey games with my daughters and, and it was great. And through that process, though, as, as these gas station opportunities and other stuff just didn't ever seem to come to fruition, I knew what Eric was doing out there, and I and he and I saw the industry the same way. We talked a lot over the years, and that was the retirement plan sponsors really did not fully understand their fiduciary responsibility. They did not know what they're paying for services, and their investments were either just poorly performing investments or they're just really expensive. So based on that premise, we knew that we could really go help mid to small size plan sponsors really improve their plans, improve the governance of their plan and reduce the cost and improve the investments. Mm -hmm. Eric proved the model out on on the West Coast while I was in New York. It just became obvious I needed to get back to what I knew. I called Eric and said, let's make a deal. And I'm going to start a company, but I need a back office and I need somebody to help me run reports and things. So we made a deal. And uh, he really helped me launch uh, my company called Acacia Associates, which was the forerunner to Guidance Point Retirement Services. That's what I did. So I started, and I just literally started with zero clients, zero um, 
zero business and just started making phone calls and sending out emails and connecting with people that I know. And before long, I had a client. Then I had two clients and three clients and four clients. And eventually, over a few years and just phone calls that I'd made, I found this opportunity with a, a local bank. Uh, trust trust department that had a book of retirement plan business that we're able to make a deal and, and uh, acquire those accounts. And that's, of course, how, I right, met that's how we met. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, changed the name of the company from Casey Associates to Guidance Point Retirement Services and made a deal with West Delco. So if, going back a few minutes, I'd mentioned mm-hmm. Wes. Wes started this company, Guidance Point Advisors. And Guidance Point Advisors focused on financial planning and wealth management for individuals. I knew that the business I was starting was focused on retirement plans and retirement plan sponsors. Well, obviously, there's a uh, if you're looking at a Venn diagram, there's a big overlap. The overlap being, you know, we're both dealing with people in the retirement field, the right. retirement age. So right. people are right. either planning for retirement or, or managing, you know, we need to manage some money in retirement. It just made sense that we had a an organization that could span both sides of the of the of the fence. I approached West with it. I approached West with it and said. Let's let's look at this together. And so we ended up making a deal. Wes owns part of Guidance Point Retirement Services, and Ben, you and I own part of um, mm-hmm. Guidance Point Advisors. Yep. And so it worked out really good. And and so now we can work with people as they prepare for retirement through corporate retirement plans and deal with plan sponsors. And then on the other side, when they're coming out of those plans and needing somebody to manage their money, uh, Guidance Point Advisors does that. Excellent. So in regards to... Guidance point retirement services, like so. Again, you talk kind of talked about the structure and kind of building it. You know, guidance point retirement services. We started in you know 2012, but your precursor went back to a few years before that. 2009, yeah. Yeah. So what what have you kind of found about this iteration of your career that you've really enjoyed? And then from your look back again at this point, where 2009, we're now over 10 years of of that. How's it gone? And how's it gone relative to how you thought it was going to go? Yeah, it's it's. I, I like it a lot. If if you recall, my past background was always involved in companies that were much broader, included record keeping and administration and other details in running retirement plans. Mm-hmm. That part of the business is requires a lot of scale and a lot of a lot of employees and a lot of a lot of uh, management that really wasn't very fun. Uh, I didn't enjoy it all. So when launching this business and guidance for retirement services. We're, we're much, much more focused on providing that consulting service to the client and we'll go help them find the other service providers. So I think the business model is really good. It, it lets us leverage our expertise without getting bogged down and trying to actually sell a product or run some kind of a, a very complicated back office. I like that a lot. I think what we've built here is, is a business that is very helpful to the end user, very cost effective for our clients. And it's, it's, it's very scalable on our side. We, we, scalable meaning we don't need a lot of technology. We, it's, it's, we do need more people, um, more as we grow, we need more consultants. But so I like it a lot. I, I think that one thing I learned with the Multnomah group, I mentioned Eric mm-hmm. is younger than myself and smarter than myself. One thing that <laughs> when he was, uh, kind enough, he and his partners were kind enough to really help me get this going. I really watched how they worked, and they worked in a collegial way that I had never really experienced. They they really enjoyed work more than I had ever really enjoyed work. They they had fun. It was a very open environment, sharing information and ideas, and and I really wanted to emulate that. And I think we have. Yeah. So we've, we've tried to do that here at Guidance Point. Yeah. I think we all kind of generally like you know it's easy to do lip service and say you do that. Um, I, I think we all really have a lot of fun working together. And even though we, we have some geographic distances between offices and, and people at times, um, we 
we're on the phone quite a bit with each other throughout the day and we, we try to see each other physically enough that you know you kind of get that semblance of team and you spend enough time on in each other's personal like what's going on and what'd you do this weekend type stuff so it's, it's been a lot of fun i do want to just kind of shift over here and uh, obviously as we talked about kind of getting to know each other a little bit and you know I, you and i have been in the car a lot right over mm-hmm. kind of traveling <laughs> uh yeah. i-95 and 395 and 495s and all the 95s but uh you know, one of the things we talked about was in terms of religion. And that's why we kind of, uh, obviously we're, why we want to think of you for the show. And I, I just would love for you to just kind of go into kind of the background that you have with faith, right? Is, is kind of what, in terms of what was your experience then growing up with faith? And then I know you had a, a specific example about, uh, kind of faith, uh, and discovering that or, or being more deeply discovered with, with faith. Right. So I did not really grow up in an, in an active faith situation. My family situation was such that we did attend church infrequently when I was young. My mm-hmm. older brothers would complain of being drugged to church or something, you know, being uh, compelled to go to church. I was not. By the time I'm, I'm the youngest of four siblings, by the time I, I came along, the parents were tired of dragging children to church. <laughs> so there was not really this, uh, Was it was just assumed that we were Christians because that's the cultural aspect our family grew up in. And sure. It wasn't really a focus of anything. It was more of just, you know, you're you're a Christian because that's just what we are. Um, I didn't know what that meant. I had no personal relationship with Jesus. I didn't understand anything. It was all positive, but it wasn't something that, you know, was, uh, was a focus of the family. Uh, as I went through uh, high school and into college, I got fairly involved in politics. And I, I think Looking back at it, what was driving me towards the political world is is that I knew there was something else sort of out there that I could see problems in the world or problems, whatever, and thought, well, maybe politics is a way to kind of make a difference. I, I that wasn't as conscious in high school as, as I think as I look back on it, that's what was going on. So I was in the student senate, and I was the uh, my class president uh, senior year in high school. I was a student senator at University of Maine, and and. Uh, and I can tell you a lot of funny stories about that, but I did all that <laughs> stuff. I helped one of my friends get elected to, when we graduated, or he was a year ahead of me, help him get elected to the uh, main state house of representatives uh, huh? out of the Orono district. I was, nice. I was his campaign manager. And I thought that was all cool. And then graduated college and continued on with some of the political stuff and, and campaigned pretty hard for a Republican candidate for a governor that never made it through the primaries, mm-hmm. f- failed in the primary <laughs> thing. What I saw there was very, very disillusioning, uh, very eye-opening. And it was that there really is no answers here. I, I really was completely disenchanted that politics really solves anything ever. I think that it's, as I've matured and now I'm in my late 50s, I, I, there is, it is important. There's some important civic, civic part sure. of that whole being a citizen but the truth is the big questions in life are not going to get answered by by that. Mm-hmm. Started me on a process of just sort of very passively thinking about kind of what meaning, you know, life, meaning in the universe, you know, kind of stuff. And so I was searching through that. I had a bunch of encounters in my early 20s with people that were Christians that I didn't know what that meant. One of the early fellows was a friend of my dad's who had had some trouble in his life, a very bright guy. Very accomplished, but he he'd had some problems, and my dad was helping him, you know, let him use some office space to get back on his feet. And he and I ended up becoming good friends. He's you know older than my dad, uh, but a really interesting guy. And he was the first 
I think evangelical Christian I ever met. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. He was actually a Catholic, which is, is as I've progressed throughout my faith journey, I find that that's not real common. Yeah. So I started, I started searching. So, uh, I, so this fellow was, was great. So we started to go to lunch and, uh, really talk about some, some bigger issues, uh, life and meaning and purpose and those things. And it really started to resonate with me. And I, I, I knew looking back at it from a teenager that I realized that I wasn't the biggest thing in the universe, that I, I, I always remember that they're thinking, looking, you know, at the stars or being out in nature or just discussions with some friends that there had to be something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Because if I'm the biggest thing in the universe, there's a real problem, right? right? There's no sure. hope. There's a hopelessness. So this fellow, um, Tom Nagel is his name, is his name. And Tom was just a wonderful, uh, thought provoking guy with a lot of wisdom. And that was the start of it. And then I started to uh, listen to the radio. I, I, as we were moving our office to Portland, I found that music really isn't good for me in a car. It puts me to sleep. Right. And when you're <laughs> yeah, driving, don't do that. Not when what you're, you want there. No, no. When you're driving a lot, you don't want to do that. So I can't listen to much music. So I was listening to, um, talk radio. Now, this was back in 89, right? Sure. So talk radio wasn't like, like it is today. And so I started listening. I bumped into a Christian station and, uh, found that fascinating and, and listened to, started listening to some, some of the programs pretty steadily. One fellow was uh, Chuck Swindoll, who is maybe one of the greatest storytellers I ever heard. Uh, Chuck Swindoll is a pastor out in California at the mm-hmm. time. And I've learned a lot about him since, but was listening to, and he was going through uh, the Bible and uh, doing some Bible studies. And what was happening is we were living and we still had our house in Brewer and we were moving to Portland. And I'm going back and forth. And I was starting to time my drives so that I could make sure I could get, listen to Chuck on the radio. So he was on from like 530 to six okay, or whatever the timing was. And I, and I'd run out of radio coverage by the time I got a little past Brunswick when I left Portland. Okay. So I was kind of getting it. And he was on this great series, uh, uh, and, and this, he did this, uh, telling the story of Abraham, a friend of God. And he was telling a story. I don't know if who all is familiar with these stories out of Genesis, but Abraham at one point as a very old man, his wife was very old, had their, had their only child, their only male child. And it was a, an amazing miracle. Anyway, there was this point when he feels compelled that he's supposed to go sacrifice the child. It's like a very like unbelievable situation. So he's at the point where the child's on the altar, Isaac is his name, and Abraham's all ready to like, you know, to, to sacrifice him. And then there was a noise in the bush and he looks up and there's a ram stuck in the thicket. And the ram was the intended sacrifice, not the child. Mm-hmm. He explained, so through Chuck, through that, through that, and that's, that's the biblical story uh, of, uh, of that, through that example of how Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice, like that ram, was a substitutionary sacrifice for his sins. Well, Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. Mm-hmm. And there was something in that truth and through the, the spiritual thing that I really at that point realized that Jesus really, that that convinced me. There was a whole series of other things that I had bumped into before that. But that's what really got me to the point of, of really accepting Jesus as my Savior. And it was a world-changing thing. It was a life-changing thing. And it's just from that time in 1989 till now, um, it's just my faith has grown and grown and grown. I've spent a lot of time in it. And can you just kind of talk about in terms of then finding that to then going, all right, well, it's another thing to then say, hey, I, I have a personal religious experience or I, I, I can practice faith maybe privately. 
to then going to a church and then finding kind of where to go. Because I, I, and why I'm asking this is I'm thinking about, you know, that a lot of kind of the conversations and people are, are asking of, it's this kind of what's the first step, right? Is if I want to kind of take that first step and, you know, I, I, maybe I, I am privately religious here and I, I, you know, I have whatever the religion is and kind of what is that first step in, in Maine to kind of do that? So how did you kind of find that, maybe that first place? to go, I, I decided to worship somewhere, and then finding what that right place was, then you've also been seeing other people trying to find that place. And has that changed, I guess, is my question there. I think that the f- decision to want to find a church is more driven on a calling as opposed to a desire. Like, I would like more community, or I would like to do something okay. different, I think is not sustainable. I don't think that people will continue to Pursue their pursue a faith or go to a church on a regular basis. Get super involved without uh, essentially a calling. It's just, I believe it's a spiritual thing. I believe that I believe that people uh, when they start really feeling something in their life is missing. There's something. There's either questions that aren't answered or there's uh, loneliness or something going on in their life. That's what's driving people to churches. And, and can I can I pause you like when you say questions? What 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 type of questions are you? maybe that you were experiencing or you were asking maybe prior um, or what you're seeing people ask as questions that are driving them to cert- seek that out as a calling. I think there's uh, Ravi Zacharias, I think has a good Ravi's a, a, one of the great thinkers and philosophers in the Christian world. And Ravi has this uh, four point approach that every worldview needs to be able to answer these questions in a way that uh, makes sense. And so it would be the, to answer the question of origin or beginnings, um, meaning, morality and destiny. Mm-hmm. So every worldview, whether we think about it or not, answers those questions. So a secular worldview, an atheist worldview, Hindu, Muslim, they all answer those questions somehow. And the question is, are they logically consistent? Are they empirically adequate? And are they experientially relevant? I think you have to apply those three mm-hmm. those three standards to each one of those four points. And when you do that, that really is what answered in my, that, that was what I was seeking is who am I? Where am I from? Where am I going? Where's my destiny? That's the origin and destiny. And then the idea of meaning can't be, I just never felt could be random. I thought it had to have been something more than random. And morality can't just emerge out of a rock. Their morality came from somewhere. I've always, my, my own personal DNA, I, I'm always interested in history. Mm-hmm. I have been since a kid. I, I was not a great student. I was great in history, though, because I just loved it. And, and a lot of that drove me to looking, you know, at some of those same questions from a historical perspective. But I think that's it. So I was trying to find answers to those questions. Other people that I see um, coming to church, uh, and looking for church, looking for some sort of spiritual relationship, are trying to answer the same kind of things. Why am I going through this life? Why am I going through this, you know, this kind of work, this effort? What is it all about? Those types of questions. Or uh, a lot of people have hit rock bottom. They've, you know, become, al- you know, they discovered that they're a substance abuser or they're alcoholics or they've had three failed marriages or life just isn't going well. And they think they're, what, what is going on? You know, what, what is out of sync here? Other people are just massively lonely. They just don't have a, a connection with anybody or anything, and they don't know what to do. So those are the kinds of questions that I see people needing to find a response to. And when they're seeking out those answers to those questions, again, how do they – so like maybe religion seems like maybe an obvious answer, maybe it isn't for, for some people. But is it they're generally going to a friend and then a friend saying – 
Hey, I had those same questions and here's where I found those answers or like, how do, how do they kind of go from I'm here and I'm in a place where I have a need and something's missing and I don't have answers to things and I'm not meeting what, what the rubric you described. What's the push, right? What's the push to kind of go, here's where I go. Yeah, it's multiple. So in some cases that exactly, it's a friend. Yeah. Um, I had somebody that, uh, I lead classes at my church. I'm one of the, I'm on the leadership team and so forth. And one of the person that I had the opportunity to actually baptize uh, this uh, past fall uh, was in one of my classes. She was uh, came to the church uh, because a friend. Uh, she came to the church because her friend's father passed away, and the funeral was at the church. She came to the church to support her friends. She didn't have any mm-hmm. any sense of calling, any sense of, of of anything going on in her faith life. She came to the church. The, the pastor who preached the sermon at the church at the funeral said something that got her thinking, wow, there's something else going on here. I don't even understand. Hmm. She signed up for the class that I teach. Uh, it's called Starting Point. Uh, and started, and she came in with just a list of huge, like a whole bunch of questions. I had to spend a lot of extra time with her answering questions. She ended up through that nine-week process of of becoming a full-blown believer. So it just was an amazing thing. So she came, though, to answer, get to your point. She yeah. came at the, to, help, to support a friend at a, at a funeral. If you know people that are in uh, the a- in AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and go through a twelve step program, they don't speak of God in a in a sense that I would as a Christian, but that's a higher power. Mm-hmm. With a higher power, a lot of people, you know, are trying to figure out what that is. So that will drive them to a to a church. How they find out about it? Asking friends. They find out about it um, online, uh, radio. They will sometimes do a deliberate search for it, but that's we find that less mm-hmm. less than they than people being invited or they're in some kind of a program that they've met somebody that goes to that church and they'll do that. And it, and I guess in one of the questions I'm, I'm kind of interested in is, is kind of the, the search for the right church, mm-hmm. right? Is, is obviously there's different variations of, of lots of different religions, right? Is, is to kind of figure out, well, is it, you know, if, if I'm in Holton, if I'm in Machias, if I'm in Cherryfield, I'm in wherever, is it, well, hey, it's convenient, and here's the one in my hometown, and maybe it's not exactly the the answers I would be agreeing to or, or thinking about, but it provides me other things, and it, it kind of... So I guess that's my question is, so you're in Portland, and your church has been very successful here and uh, in, in growing and getting more popular, and what, what do you find is kind of the... is happening with the growth of churches, or maybe... The shrinking of churches, right, is is kind of that. How are people finding the where to go? Well, your, your question is very, very it's, it's, broad. So yeah. it's, it's very this will take to yeah. the listeners. This will take at least three hours. So yeah. just to relax. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, ben, that's hit, a big hit question. pause. Go get some popcorn. Right. Yeah, and go come relax. Back. It's yeah. gonna be good. Uh, actually, uh, Ben, as you and I were talking, you sent me some notes to prepare for this. You'd you'd put a link into crosswalk.com a church kind of ten questions to ask before joining a church. Actually, that was helpful. It was, uh, I, I saw that and I thought, oh boy, this is going to be kooky. Right. But uh, it, it, it really was pretty good. Uh, yeah. And I, I think those are 10 good questions that you asked. Okay. So there's some online resources that are helpful. Yep. You're going to find churches of Christian. It's really complicated because you have, I, that's why I'm saying it's more of a calling. Okay. It's more of, there needs to be something calling you to something because it's very, very complicated. In the Christian world, um, we break down the, the two big divisions are Catholic and Protestant. So Catholics, those of you who are raised Catholic and are interested in that, they're, they're more, 
similar than different. So you go to one Catholic church or another one. I think it's if you like the priest or something, but it's going to be very, very similar. In the right. Protestant world, it's not at all the same. It's wildly different. So you can go to the old mainline Protestant churches like the United Church of Christ uh, churches and the Methodist churches and so forth. Um, those are, are are really dying. They're really losing membership. They're really shrinking, getting smaller. Those are all those really pretty old churches in the center of the towns around Maine mm-hmm. and New England. Those white steeple churches are beautiful, and they just don't generally have many people coming anymore. Um, the churches that are really thriving and growing are the independent Christian community churches uh, with a very evangelical bent. Like my church, I go to East Point, a Christian church in South Portland. And uh, there's churches all over the state that are similar, that are trying to get rid of the traditions that maybe don't have meaning for, for the younger generation mm-hmm. and trying to make the message very relevant. Mm-hmm. The The music is very relevant. So the community is very welcoming and non-judgmental. That's all part of what people are looking for. In fact, we use the word religion. You've used the religion. Yeah. I don't, if you notice, I don't know if you notice, but maybe now, now you will. I, I almost never use the word religion because it, in my worldview and the Christian worldview, and I believe what Christ calls us to is not a religion. In fact, he actually was extremely critical of religion, of the religious leaders of the day. Um, that's who he railed against. He railed against the people that followed the rules in a hypocritical way mm-hmm. that they pretended to follow. They, they had all the show and the pomp and circumstance, but their heart was really not uh, at all good. He, he would rather hang out with the sinners and the, the tax collectors and the really bad people because they needed him and they mm-hmm. knew they needed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we like to say at our church, we, we're not, we don't have a religion. We have a relationship. So people at East Point um, have a relationship with Jesus. So what we're trying to do at East Point and at a bunch of other churches, you know, the kind of the independent contemporary you know, evangelical churches, really want to offer to people a chance to become Jesus followers. And and we look, we don't we don't care what kind of baggage you bring in. We don't care what you wear. We don't care what you look like. We don't care anything. We just don't care any of that stuff. What we really know is that if you start following Jesus, eventually you're going to start looking like him in your spirit, in your actions, in your behavior. That's what it's about. So you're going to start to conform. Your life will start to transform and conform over time to become more like Jesus. And that will happen the rest of your life till you die because you're never going to make it. You're never going to get fully there. Right. So that's the deal. So how do you look for a church? I would go to your friends. I would go to people that you know. If your friends are skunks and you want to get away from them anyway, you want new friends, then 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 get online. You found a neat mm-hmm. resource at crosswalk.com and, and start looking around uh, and just Google churches near and just see. Read what they believe. Go visit some. See how it feels. I guess that's kind of the biggest thing, right? Is just yeah. go try it, right? You got to go try yeah. it. Yeah. Experience it and see what you like about it and see if you're you're receiving what they're what they're saying there and you yeah. know kind of get out. Okay. That's uh, what I would say. You know, one of the things you just mentioned AJ was uh, obviously with with churches and and there's different vitality of churches, right? Is in what may have been popular 30 40 years ago and how maybe certain communities responded really well to how how a church was kind of functioning in their community over time things change right is you know how how they how people want to interact with their with their church and and their calling to that church so really my question is well in the state of Maine you have more and more functions and things that are are being are, that are rural and maybe more more things that are are really centralizing and especially where we kind of as you express well you know your church is is growing and, and some of it's just because you're you're changing to the to kind of how people want to want to experience the church 
so say I was in this situation, like, you know, I'm, I'm say today I started with a church and I, I kind of found that that was where I, I gravitated towards and I had a calling towards that church. But in 10 or 15 years that changed and I have to start the process of, of kind of finding that next place to go. What, what's, what's the process to do that? And how do you, how do you kind of, again, is it the same of just, well, like you would find it the first time is just go interview them and, and figure that out. How does that, how does that kind of work? Yeah. So our culture in the state of Maine, as well as the rest of the country and actually the rest of the world, particularly uh, Western Europe and in the U.S. is very similar in this event or in this stage in that we're, we're now out of a cultural Christian sort of normative culture experience. We're now in what's what's being referred to as the postmodern era. In the postmodern era, churches that rely on tradition and religion and kind of a cultural force to pull you into the church because back you go back 50 years and you, know, you lived in a small town and everybody went to the same church and you all did that and you kind of had to you know that was part of being in the culture it's not the way it is today so for churches to survive and thrive and grow they have to be meeting people's needs right mm-hmm. this need of when you're 20 years old or when you're 70 years old is the same need and the the need is to find meaning in your origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. What what are you here for? Where do you come from? Where are you going? Those types of essential big questions, big metaphysical questions, are really what people long for. And I, I actually would submit that all people long for this. Some people fill it up with with other activities. Some people mm-hmm. fill it up with uh, with drugs and alcohol. I think everybody's looking for that sort of connectedness and and bigger, broader meaning in their life. So what you find are the, the, that the older churches, the churches that really relied on that tradition are just, are just shrinking. Uh, my church, East Point Christian, has only been in existence for 14 or 15 years, and we have an average attendance of around 2,300 people. We're growing very rapidly. Started, they started out the church plan, a, a pastor and his wife and a few other couples came from Ohio. They felt called to New England, and they had a church planning um, group that that planted the church, gave them some funding, and they raised a lot of funding and started out, you know, with just a handful of people and are growing very, very, are growing very rapidly. And why are we growing rapidly as well as other churches are? There's one here in Bangor and across the Cross Point Church mm-hmm. has done real well. There's, mm-hmm. there's um, the Rock Church and other ones that are of very similar natures. We, we really tried to, to meet needs for the people in a very relevant fashion. If people today are walking into a church, let me start again. If people today walk into a movie theater, they expect good lighting, they expect good sound, they expect comfortable air conditioning or heating, they want to have a coffee or popcorn or anything else. You take those same people that do not come out of a Christian background and Mm -hmm. in this postmodern era, they're going to walk into a church environment and they're going to expect at least what they're going to get at a movie theater. I mean, come on. I have to at least have the environment feel comfortable or I'm not going to listen to anything. If it's spooky and it's weird and it's full of weird language, then they're just going to turn around and leave. It's just, it's going to be too much of a, of a bridge to, to uh, get across. If they can walk into the church and they feel something a little different. There's some spirit thing going on here. It's a little different. People are friendly, but they don't seem fake. They don't care what you're wearing. They don't care kind of that you're carrying coffee into your seat or you can go. Our church has a, has a hundred seat cafe right when you walk in and go get something to eat and walk over and go sit down. You know, it's, we have a soccer field when you walk into our church, indoor soccer field. So it, this is stuff that just people don't expect in, in what you consider the old traditional church. And so we're appealing to uh, the cultural, uh, a culture that doesn't have a Christian background. So it's really fascinating. So 
those churches around the state and around this country, um, those small churches that are clinging to kind of that old traditional hard wooden pew, we're going to give you the message and you're going to like it or whatever, um, they're just not doing well. The other churches that aren't doing well, those that have tried to become relevant in a pluralistic way, maybe even universal. So they've taken the message of what Jesus Christ taught. Jesus called himself, I'm the way, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Now, either that's a truth claim that's true, or it's a truth claim that's not true, mm-hmm. which would be an untruth claim, right? Mm-hmm. So so th- that's kind of the, one of the tenets. The fact that Jesus was born of a virgin was is another one of those central truth claims. The fact that we're created, that there is a creator in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Either that's true or that isn't true. Mm-hmm. Um, the churches that have, have kind of taken those and tried to bend those to sort of the politically popular belief or the cultural view um, aren't doing very well. They're, they're, we're finding that uh, just their, their attendance is just dropping, 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 dropping. Because I believe what's happening is people walking in there and there's nothing, there's no real message being proclaimed. There's no answers really to the big questions in life they can get the same stuff by watching cnn they don't really need to go to those churches so you go to a church like the rock church or i don't know you know but yes i know people in the rock church or our church or other churches you're going to hear a very different message one of hope one of acceptance one of grace one of love that the culture doesn't normally hear right you're not hearing that in the movies you're not hearing that at you know in your normal walk and and it's very refreshing in it and it's very great for a lot of people and in, and when you kind of use the universalist message there is it do you think because it you know here's the four rubric right is you know here's those four things and maybe they're only teaching morality is is kind of so it's just people have maybe have larger questions or maybe more uh broad questions that answers all those four things and they're only getting one and it just feels like okay i, I feel like i got that piece of it that i needed and I'm just getting reinforced on this and not getting maybe all the other questions that I have answered. I think so. That, that's probably right. It's, it's something like that. It's something to do with, yeah, there's, there's just not really answers here. There's, yes, that's, it's fine that, you know, whatever the stance is on whatever the political, you know, issue of the day is. But is that really answering those, those felt needs of origin, meaning, morality and destiny? Yeah. And probably not. I, Again, that's a really long, I could go on and on and on about right. that. But I think that's probably something close to the truth that they're just not getting their needs met. And when they walk into a place um, where they're, they're all of a sudden getting some answers or, or, or seeing things a little differently or a lot differently, uh, it's compelling. So I kind of had the question that I wanted to queue up for you, which I, I think we covered was in today's churches, what are, what are churches really doing well? What are they doing well? So maybe we kind of covered that, but mm-hmm. maybe just fast forward then going forward, right? Is, so if you have this postmodern era where, you know, the experience really is more of, it, it's one of comfort and meeting people to be, you know, if they're comfortable, they're able to receive messages. How do you, how do you kind of think then going forward? Uh, what, what sort of, maybe specific to your church. Um, what are you guys doing really well in that? And what, where are you trying to improve yourself? But then going forward, what do you think also need to need to keep refining? So, so that, that environment stays so that, that, that people keep coming to, to that place. People need to keep growing in their faith for it to make sense. Right. So it isn't a one and done. It's not just say, Oh, I'm now a Christian. I've accepted Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm a, and that's it. Check that box. I'm going to go do something else. You, you can do that, but, but you're not going to grow. You're not going to have those, you're not going to have those needs of relationship and, and love and so forth met. Remember the, the, the golden rule or the, the two, the two largest uh, or most significant teachings in, in the Judeo Christian ethos is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, in that, you, you've encompassed 
a relationship that you, you're going to have a relationship with your creator and a relationship with others. And you're going to serve others. You're going to do good for others. There's a whole purpose there of we're created to do good things. Uh, when God created in the first chapter of Genesis, when God created man and women, men and women, God created and then immediately put Adam to work. You have to go name all the animals. You got to get going. Come on, chop, chop. So he had him doing work immediately. So work is significant. Mm-hmm. Um, doing things for other people is significant. Having relationship relationships with God and with others is really significant. So if they walk into any church and are, don't start upon a path of continual growth and change and moving towards that goal, it's a brutally difficult thing to do. To, to those two things, love God and love your neighbor. It's brutally difficult. And then we can plumb the depths of that for the rest of your life on how to better do that. If you're not moving in that way, then you're not going to stick with the church, right? I think mm-hmm. people will see people drift away. So the challenge that I think that the contemporary Christian churches like, like East Point have are that we can get 2,000 people a Sunday. We can get 4,000 people a Sunday there because the message is relevant and it's meaningful. However, if people don't get engaged in a small group relationship setting where they're part of a much, much smaller group, 15, 20 people, where you can kind of really live life out and live your faith out and deal with the tough questions, you can't deal with in a group of 2,000 people. Right. You're going to deal with it. Your kid gets sick and you need help and... You know, the 2,000 other people sitting there aren't going to help you. It's going to, you know, I mean, theoretically they could, but it's really that small, um, we call them life groups in our church, but others call them some other things. But that's, I think, really where it has to be. People have to keep growing in their faith, and it's going to have to be in in that type of life group, kind of small group setting um, that will just continue to have to be nurtured. So. And this is just a question, like we've, we've kind of covered this lots of different ways in, in previous iterations of this podcast is that look in a rural state, it's really tough for people, especially where you're aging and you have mobility issues and is you, you, maybe you, you're not able to drive anymore, you know, or you're just rural in general and, and you just can't do, you, you have a calling to go to somewhere, but you, you're unable to go for whatever reason. Do you feel like? In terms of that small group, that that's maybe the, another evolution as well, is that maybe more of these small groups that maybe isn't just geographically focused to that specific place? Is that something that's being talked about? I'm not sure I know what you mean. So in regards to uh, maybe are the small groups taking place at the church? Or going to, hey, well, here's, you know, here's a, a satellite center, you know, maybe 20 minutes out of, you know, where the church is physically located. But we have a group of people that, you know, 15 of us get together and we have that in your case, maybe the life group or in that we can we can kind of create some of the church. Um, without having to be at it. Uh, so allowing that expansion. Yeah, very much so. In fact, ours all meet in homes. We uh, maybe okay. a couple meet at the church, but we have, we have many, many, many of these in our church, these groups. And we meet in our home, for instance. I'm one of the, my wife and I lead a life group. That, that's right. That, that, and, and in fact, if from the perspective of this podcast of retirement success in Maine, if you're feeling that either you're, you're feeling called somehow to get back to your faith or get, or, or searching for a new faith or trying to, find purpose in your situation of whatever stage of life you're in, whether it's in retirement or nearing retirement, I would urge you to seek out a church and, and, and really start to explore. If it do some reading, read, pick up the Bible and, and, and there's some great reading plans uh, that you can read and just reading cover to cover is difficult. Uh, but, but there's some great plans that, that uh, you can pick up online or there's all kinds of resources. Start doing that because if you can get engaged in that community and really in that 
sort of real living church sense and you're really living out your faith, it's exactly as you said, Ben. What happens is we all meet in homes and we have in our life group, we have, I think the youngest person is 23 and our oldest person's 81 mm-hmm. in our life group. So you get, it's really wonderful. And we help each other out. Uh, one of the last year, uh, one of our group members, uh, they had a lot of flooding in their basement. And so some of us went over there and started helping out. It gets, it gets very practical. So in that case, if somebody becomes kind of housebound and can't really get out to church, wonderful. Let's go meet at their house now once a week. And another neat thing about the modern, you know, kind of modern technology and modern churches is we stream our services. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So somebody could go over and help them get it set up on a computer so they can actually watch and be part of the service. Our church, actually, by the way, we stream services into Cumberland County Jail because we want those people to realize that when they get out of jail, they have a community that they can join, yep. that they can come part of. So we actually have people over at the jail every Sunday, and we have a video feed in there. Um, I think right now we're actually doing a one-week delay because of some of the technology issues on the, on the prison side. Uh, we're not the only church doing that. And we actually had one of our, our one, uh, we just had a prisoner released recently that came in and said, Hey, I've been watching this for a while. And we said, Hey, you're part of the team. Come on in. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. And, and so people need to be accepted and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So geographically in a rural state like this, the, this, you know, can be very meaningful, very helpful and, and, uh, you know, get out to them as opposed to making them try to come into a church. Gotcha. And, and I know, obviously, we've we've kind of covered uh, lots of different topics in our show so far, which is why kind of religion is kind of a pretty good uh, weaving of of all these themes together, right? Is it, it, it's all life purpose and what are you trying to accomplish and where do you fit? And and, and for some people, they 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 may pick specific things. Is maybe there's a passion that that gives them purpose and meaning, or or there's uh, service is something. And we talked to Mary Marin Lyon about volunteerism and and what does volunteerism look like and how do you get engaged and involved and you know for for church there's sometimes all of that can kind of wrap all into one right is you can kind of find that in in kind of one place and and maybe it's a little more efficient from kind of that finding and and that soul searching side so um kind of like that is why we wanted to explore it is you know and and, you know for for some people that say hey i'm i'm maybe I've just not answered these questions in my life at this point and I get to retirement or I'm th- I'm pre-retirement or, you know, it's not, never too late to start that process, right? Is to kind of start growing towards it. Yeah. I think one of the, the great purposes when you, when you're from a Christian perspective, I really can't speak of other faiths. I don't, sure. I've, I've never been a Muslim. I've never been Hindu. I've never been a Sikh. I've never been you know, I, I, I have good, very, very good Jewish friends and I'm, I'm quite familiar with the, that culture. But so I'm really only speaking from an yeah. evangelical Christian perspective, right? So taking that, take that into account. But we believe that our message, our mission is, is much bigger than ourselves, right? So to your point yeah. of kind of desire to give back or have meaning in your life is nothing. And from the Christian's perspective, it's more meaningful than service. And as you said, it kind of the, through the church, if you're really following what you believe, you're going to be compelled to, to go out and, and help people. And it's not just help people. It's go out and, and share the message, the saving, you know, faith of Jesus and the, and the message of grace and love. And, and so it's, it's just nothing. There's no bigger kick in my life than when I can get a chance to share that. And that will be with me the rest of my life. So mm-hmm. in, in my mm-hmm. retirement years, uh, there, I, there's an endless amount of opportunities to serve through the church, uh, and, and so forth. And, and as churches change and so forth, uh, may not always be at East Point. You know, it could be mm-hmm. something changing and we move or something else and we'll go to another church. But, but, uh, yeah, it's really neat. The purpose, there's just no end to the, to, to kind of the drive to, 
to serve other people and to and bring this message to other people. Uh, one last question for you. And we like to wrap up the episode with, with this question for everybody is for you personally, uh, obviously you just kind of answered some of that with, with being active in your faith, but in retirement for you, retirement success, what's, what's maybe the big hairy audacious goal, right? As uh, what's that thing that you're like, Hey, I always wanted to do or wanted to accomplish. And I could see myself doing something that would, that would leave me very fulfilled and, and very, uh, uh, kind of that feeling of being accomplished and in and that so what 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 would be that for you one of my i have hobbies that i enjoy a lot like fly fishing and and all related matters to the fly fishing is, is great fun I, I can't say though that this that it fulfills a great um i, I don't feel particularly uh that i'm that that's a purpose of my life right sure. so it's a great thing to do and i'll do it as long as i can but I'm not sure that I derive a ton of purpose. I think what I really do is I really form, feel more created, uh, connected to my creator. When I'm standing in the river and I'm dealing with the fish and I'm dealing with, you know, the insects and things, it's actually just so awe-inspiring to me and so uh, I'm filled with wonder at nature. So it's really another aspect of my faith journey mm-hmm. is what I do, the fishing. Mm-hmm. So the big audacious goal is is really I would just uh, be able to spend more time focused on you know bringing the message of of uh, the good news of Jesus to other people and serving other people and through the church and, and outside of the church our church um, serves people in many many ways you know financially and physically and all kinds of things but yeah that would be it I, I I'm never going to you and I've talked about this mm. in retirement I'm I'm still you know a ways away, but yeah. I can at least see it from here. Uh, and, and it will be, I, I will never have to wonder what I'll do in my retirement years. I, the, this is a lifelong quest and it has meaning. And, and, uh, the nice thing about the Christian worldview is that we actually had the, our belief is that we're not, uh, we're, that we're created eternal, that our souls are eternal. There is no, we're either going to live with God or not with God. That's a big deal, mm-hmm. but we're going to live. So that's, that's a pretty cool perspective. So I'm not, what I'm doing on earth, I see as only just I'm in this particular body, but my soul is going to live on forever. I don't believe that we can have those big metaphysical questions and discussions and, and, uh, and, and all those big meta, you know, all that, that kind of thinking. I just can't believe that happens on a temporal being. So anyway, that's cool. So gotcha. I, I have this whole eternal perspective that I look forward to. It's going to be great. And eternity is going to be better than here. And so, which is, yeah. which is why I think in, in, we, you know, in the, in this show where we kind of hear and, and some from our client perspective is, is they're going into retirement kicking and screaming, right? Is there's a, there's a kind of a, a fight against, um, the, the aging process. There's a fight against, um, change and they've been very comfortable. It just that, that, that just kind of moment, right? Is, and, and I, I think maybe they just, don't feel peace in some of those answers, right? Is they, they kind of don't feel peace yeah. towards that. Uh, again, what are you migrating towards, right? What's that, right. you know, that, which I, again, which is what we find out a lot, I feel like. The, the tricky thing is, is that I, I think there's great nobility in work. Yeah. I think that, I think we're called, as I mentioned, and from Genesis through the rest of the scriptures, we're called to be workers. That's what we're supposed to do. So it's not unusual people try to find meaning in their work or try to do, or, or like you said, they, they, you know, how do you let it go and go into retirement? Mm. I would never advocate that. I would just advocate to, to have people consider why they're working. Right. And exactly. what, what, what kind of is that work accomplishing right now? I'm working and I get paid. Yeah. Um, there will be a day when I'm not getting paid for it, but I, it probably will be more meaningful altogether. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, yeah, work is a wonderful thing, but why are you doing it? And I'm, I know why I'm doing it and I know what I'll do when I stop getting paid. 
working here. So, yeah, well, yeah. a great insight. Uh, AJ, appreciate you yeah. being on the show today and, and thanks for spending some time. And again, religion's always a tough thing, right? It's, it's very personal to everybody and they, you know, it just can galvanize people in, in lots of different directions. So again, we want to just explore it from a, um, maybe more of a holistic manner. And I think you did that really well. So thanks yeah. for coming on today. Thank you. So interesting today's topic of of kind of uh, finding your faith and and kind of approaching religion and and we know when you when you kind of hear that from some people it's like okay here's the eye roll right <laughs> here we go this yeah. is going to be something that uh, is going to get preachy and yeah. it's going to be well judgmental and that was I think the opposite tact we wanted to take today yep. and and that's why you know I think people can get very passionate about their own personal relationship with, with faith and they can get very defensive about that. Mm. Um, so we wanted to, which is why I think when we wanted to approach this topic, we're thinking about having those guardrails in place. This is more about systematically. How do I, how do I approach the subject? How do I think about this? How do I find the right place for me? Again, lots of different religions out there, right. lots of different places you could uh, worship, whether it be privately or publicly um, in a group or with family, whatever that may be, or maybe not at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And and that was something where it, all these podcasts are meant to be exploratory and, and that we're kind of get to that point of helping people just explore the topic a little bit more mm-hmm. and identify those fears. So Again, AJ was really good uh, from that end is that, you know, of course, he works with us on a uh, on a daily basis as part of our team. And we work with them on the other side of our business, which is more on the retirement plan space, right? Uh, offering corporate retirement plans. Yep. Uh, so he's he's there. But obviously, we get to know each other. And we all have different bents and different things that makes us unique. And that was one that we thought that would be a perfect entree to to him. So. Yeah, and, and like you said, Ben, you know, we we came into this episode um, wanting to be very I don't know if careful is the word is mm-hmm. you know we didn't want it to sound like you know this is right that's wrong um, you know and I think AJ did a really great job just kind of explaining you know the topic as a whole you know and, be, and even he you know he religion is a, a big part of his life um, but he didn't you know make it seem like his way was the right way you know it's yeah. so I, I was yeah. very very glad to hear him speak about it and I and I think one of the highlights for me was was the the worldview, the four point mm-hmm. uh, uh, piece of that, right? Is yep. the origin and, and meaning and morality and destiny, and and you kind of go, you know, you, and then you start applying the you know logically consistent, empirically evident, and and then kind of the the other pieces of the of the apparatus, you go. Man, a lot of what we're doing with this show is kind of a, attempting to do that, right? Yeah. It's, it's purpose driven is what we're trying yeah. to do in the show. Yeah. And what's meaningful to you and where am I going? And so there's obviously, I think he was approaching it more grander than that. But, you know, all of us kind of search for these pieces and, and the trying to, make those little pieces that we feel that are missing fit. Mm. And sometimes we miss pieces along the way and sometimes we gather pieces along the way. But I, I kind of, I really like that actually from a uh, perspective of, you know, here's something of, well, why did I always want to play guitar? Right. And I always was musically inclined. That was something in my life. And, you know, it, it enriches me because it allows me to connect to my past or it allows me to connect to people. And there's purpose there. Yeah. Uh, those sorts of things. Uh, that's what I really liked about kind of that. And, and for some people, you know, the church just checks all the boxes. Right. And some people, it's just, they just need to check one box. Yeah. 
so they can kind of take and and get what they want out of that. And um, and I, I think that was that was really kind of a neat part of that conversation today was was how accessible it is and and kind of where it's going. Yeah, and uh, so you know, one piece for me, or a big piece for me, uh, or takeaway from this episode. So full disclaimer, um, religion is not a big part of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's for no, there's no rhyme or reason behind that. It's just not a big part of my life. So hearing AJ talk about, you know, he mentioned his church and I think just church and churches in general, um, you know, he referenced the old, the old churches are, they're struggling and, you know, the, the, the steps that churches have made in the sense that, you know, I can walk in and, and grab a coffee and a bagel and and go in into church it's very you know very less i don't know structured is you know obviously there's structure you know in the church maybe um, maybe a little less formal right yeah is that yeah. this idea that kind of come as you are a little bit more yeah right and and it's like well this is a gathering place and it's supposed to be a friendly place yeah and it's not like i got to put on my sunday best mm-hmm. and where the whole family gets dressed up we have to sit in very uncomfortable positions yeah for a long period of time that yeah. it it's that the user experience of the church is changing. Yeah. And, you know, even, you know, he mentioned, I don't know if it was on the, the episode or, or when we were kind of doing a prep conversation, he mentioned um, they actually live stream their, their services, his church live streams their services on, uh, I think he said Facebook live mm-hmm. on the, or on their website. So the fact that, you know, if I can't get into church today, you know, that particular Sunday, I can turn on my TV and watch, you know, be a part of the service. So I, you know, and that's kind of a general technology kind of taking over the world. Um, but, but I just but, thought that was really cool how, you know, the evolution of how these churches are becoming or trying doing more and more to stay relevant. Well, and in Maine, too, that's especially important because yeah. of how how geographically sparse we are. Right. So if if here's a here's a church I want to I'd want to attend or that's the type of church I, I would identify the most with that because I'm in, you know, I'm in Holton, mm. uh, that I can't go and, and attend a church in Portland. Right. You could, right? You could have, maybe it's not the same relationship, but you can have a or an relationship or the relationship with them yeah. in a different way. Or, you know, by the way, we're in Maine and, and it's winter and you just had a six inch uh, snowstorm. Yep. And I would normally travel 30 to 45 minutes for that experience. Right. I can't today. It's really not safe. Right. But I want to have that ability to, to make maintain it and not feel like I'm missing out. Neat, right? Is that yeah. that's a neat way that we're not going if you are not within five minutes of our church, you really is not the best place for you. Right. Um that that model is changing and that that's kind of in which all of our all of the models in, in yeah. life are changing is yeah. for that reason. So we like that that was kind of interesting to hear is that evolution is impacting faith uh, mm. generally uh, across uh, our state especially mm-hmm. so appreciate everybody tuning in today again it was uh, appreciate kind of going along with it and and kind of having an open mind as you go through it right as again we wanted to make sure that this is not a particular faith that we're advocating for and, and that we're being very careful about it but in terms of I think there's things we could all learn from methodology and kind of approach um, and, and that's what I, I think I really loved about what AJ kind of shared with us today yeah so for uh, more resources, you can go to our blog, uh, blog.guidancepointllc.com. Uh, this is backslash 13. 13. So we're our first entree into being a teenager. That's right. Yep. Uh, so and uh, if you need anything uh, in terms of questions or if you, you want to connect with us, I'd love for you to do that. Again, we're on Facebook as well. So you can search for us on Facebook in addition to our blog. Um, and uh, love to see you next time. <laughs> 
Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information-filled episode of the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisor's mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.